Britain feels broken, but how do we fix it? Westminster just doesn't seem to have the answers, but we have found some people who do. Join me, journalist Becca Hudson, and me, the former MP Ed Vasey, for How I'd Fix. From the price of a pint to the housing crisis, this is the show where we take an alternative look at the problems plaguing the nation. And hear practical solutions from those in the know. Catch new episodes of How I'd Fix wherever you get your podcasts. Rebuilding Britain starts here. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio and welcome to yet another uh, interesting Bank Holiday Monday. Basically what we are doing uh, is we are talking of course about more listeners, we are talking about more viewers and more common sense opinions. It is Bank Holiday Monday so hardly anyone is actually working. The streets of London are more deserted than ever and the news that just 13% of the city's workforce has returned to work isn't exactly helping. After capping the eat eat out to help out subsidise your own lunch business, Chancellor Rishi Sunak has come up with another bright idea. Let's put up tax. Yeah, marvellous. If it goes ahead, it will be one of the biggest mistakes any Tory government has ever made. To raise corporation tax by over 25% would send a clear message to firms already struggling to make ends meet that the government wants them to pay for the economic recovery. I'd rather see a much more targeted tax rise to the big multinational corporations that are currently taking the mickey out of the great British taxpayer by refusing to bring workers back into offices and continuing to take furlough money from us. The more workers return, the less tax you pay. That would be my system. The one bright spark in the proposals, I suppose, uh, is that Rishi is going to rip up the foreign aid budget, so that should bring 15 billion quid back into the coffers uh, of recovery. We'll take uh, the advice from Marcus Swish, uh, Conservative MP for Yeovil, of course. He's not too happy about these tax proposals, uh, and like most proper Tories, he thinks taxing people is not the answer. Coming up later on, we're joined by Peter Hitchens, the Mail on Sunday columnist, still fighting against the COVID lockdown measures in the face of weekend protests, the £10,000 fine to Piers Corbyn and the latest noises coming out of the Department of Health. Plus, we'll be attempting to make sense of the latest quarantine news. Portugal may be going back on the naughty list this week and Public Health Wales has ordered all passengers and crew from a TUI flight that came from Greece, which is currently not on the naughty list, to Cardiff last week to self-isolate for 14 days. Confusing, isn't it? 0344 499 1000. Also, we'll be talking parking, plastic bag taxes and the return to Parliament tomorrow as Keir Starmer appears to have had a bit of a boost in the polls over the weekend. I would take it with a very large pinch of salt, however. He hasn't really done much. He hasn't really said much. Uh, he was celebrating Notting Hill Carnival on this weekend, which was actually cancelled. Well done, Keir finger on the pulse as ever 0344 499 1000 you're listening to me Mike Graham on the fastest growing radio station on the planet is it any wonder it is of course Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, lots of things to do today. Lots of stories to catch up on. It's a quiet bank holiday Monday in the City of London, which uh, pains me to say, but an incredibly interesting piece of information revealed uh, in the Sunday Times at the weekend that basically uh, the sort of population of offices in all of Britain's cities is way, way down. And in London, it is some of the lowest. Only 13% uh, of office workers are actually back working in offices. And you have to 
say that as long as those figures are correct, then the problem is going to be even larger, particularly if you start taxing companies um, who haven't got enough money at the moment to make ends meet. They're going to be making losses this year, many of them. So actually putting up corporation tax is a bit of a stupid idea. Let's talk to Marcus Fish, uh, who is a Tory MP for Yeovil. Um, and I think uh, he's going to agree with me. Marcus, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Morning, Mike, and that, a happy bank holiday to Happy everybody. bank holiday, yes. Well, you guys are all back to work a little bit early, aren't you? You're coming back to work tomorrow. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about uh, your views, because I've seen a couple of tweets from you saying that tax rises are the wrong response uh, to the current situation. And I think that's right, because here we are in a kind of a, shall we say, slightly kind of a tenuous situation economically. It's not the right time, surely, to start taxing people. Well, that is correct. The uh, thing we need to focus on is... Um, you know, get, getting the nascent uh, economic recovery confirmed and boosting it. Um, and in fact, I personally think we should be look, looking at tax incentives of one kind or another yeah. to, to help that process rather than the opposite. I do think there is probably a bit of Treasury official kite flying there. And um, uh, the point is that, um, you know, cle- clearly the COVID measures and the help that the government's given to loads of people through the furlough scheme uh, it isn't something that can be unlimited. Um, um, so we sort of do need to um, get the economy going now right. to, to, to make that um, unnecessary. Yes, well, I've been having these conversations about repopulating office working space uh, for quite a long time now. And I had suggested a couple of weeks ago, how about a tax incentive to people? For example, if you are currently working from home, but you could be coming into an office because your company would let you. um, How about giving people a tax free month so that you could actually earn for a month without paying any tax at all? Well, I think that that's a creative idea, and I would, would, would like the Chancellor to have a look at that. These are the sorts of things that we need to be thinking about. How right. do we... Because um, at the end of the day, it is more innovative for companies to have their employees in the same place, exchanging ideas, uh, making deals, doing all the things that um, humans do like uh, doing. But, it's, but yeah, that, that does need some encouragement, because everyone, I think, has sort of... Um, if they have a, a job that's been fairly secure, um, quite enjoyed the nice weather at times, yeah. and that sort of thing. If they've got, a, if they're lucky enough to have a garden, so it's it's kind of understandable. But the other thing that people have to focus on is that the incidence of the virus is now way way lower uh, than it was at its height, yeah. um, and things things are now pretty safe in most parts of the country. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what I, what I hear from yeah. people, Marcus, uh, 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 on a sort of a personal level, and these are people that, that, that talk to me on, on, a, on a daily basis, there are some who would like to come back to work but can't because they're basically their employers are telling them not to bother and they're quite happy to let them work from home, even though they want to come in because for whatever reason they can't populate the office with that many people. So maybe the government needs to take a step back on that and say, look, there are different ways of getting people back into the office. And then there's the other group of people who are what I call the kind of the selfish middle class types which sitting there with a laptop going well my work life balance is a lot better now and I can see my children more uh, you know and I, I, I don't have to commute anywhere and I really like working from home to which I say well of course you like it but that doesn't mean that's the right thing to do you know I'd like to have a Ferrari to drive around in but it doesn't mean that necessarily I should. Well look I, as I said I think there's a lot of value to um, have uh people together thinking think, think things through i don't think zoom zoom calls are able to uh do that forever no um uh, and and yeah we need to 
we need to get people back into the cities because so many small small businesses and large businesses uh, ser- service businesses depend on that um, uh, c- c- commuter trade and yeah. it is now it is now pretty safe as I say and and, and it, this is the time when when we need to get back I don't want to be getting closer to Christmas and firms beginning to think well things haven't been that flash in the last quarter so right. what are we going to do it is much better to get the economy moving now rather than be having to think about doing that in December no exactly right and the point is is that you know there's only a kind of limited amount of elasticity that we can deal with here you know if you continue to allow everything to just kind of disappear and collapse so because even today um, despite the fact that it's bank holiday Monday it's not that much quieter than it is the rest of the week because so few businesses are actually open still and it's all very well for people to go oh I can work from home and have a nice time people who clean the office that you used to work in don't ha- currently have a way of making any money. People that work in the, you know, the barber shops, the, the gift card shops, the, the shops that people would just generally walk through and go to, you know, chemists, because they happen to be in, in the local area working, you know, none of those are making any money. Well, that's absolutely right. And and, uh, and as you say, the, many of these are um, lower wage uh, jobs um and so it impacts um those on lower wages more so yeah this is why we have to get back we have to get back to normal now and i don't think we should be using fear of the virus as an excuse because i don't think that that's a rational response to what's actually going on in the country health-wise yes exactly right i mean the one thing i think people will be encouraged by because a lot of people have been calling for this and that is the kind of the binning of foreign aid there's 15 billion quid there that we could bring back into the budget um what's your view on that i've always um said that uh you know foreign aid is a skill that we want to maintain and we shouldn't cut that budget completely because you know there are times when we'll want to ramp it up to help with uh, particular issues mm. that we, we need to solve um, but I do think that I personally think that uh, that we need to look after um, those who need our help here in the UK at the moment more more than doing that sort of thing. Well, there's plenty of people in this country that need help, um, not least those who are going to be out of a job sort of long term, because this is the other thing I wanted to ask you about, was in terms of, you know, the tax increases that, that they want to put on people, there's a limit, is there not, to the, the kind of the usefulness of a tax rate? And as I say, if you were to take 19% and put it up to 24%, I mean, that's a massive increase in corporation tax for a lot of companies, which they would then eventually have to pass on um, to their employees. And at the end of the day, employees will spend less money if they're worried about a more heavy tax system. That's exactly right. And and um, things have been proven time and time again that when you cut rates of the, those those sorts of tax, it actually collects more money, not right. uh, less. So um, I, I do think that that's a very... Uh, a very unwise um, strategy, um, and I don't think it's really necessary because uh, the thing is, all this COVID spending, most of it is one-off costs, yeah. which, which I think can be financed over the longer term rather than in the near-term uh, budget balancing process. That that doesn't mean that it's unlimited in terms of the um, scope for that type of spending, of course, but um, but it is possible to flex it a bit and... Um, and um, so I don't think that the normal sorts of um, considerations of uh, spending priorities versus revenue raising priorities apply uh, to that type of spending. No, quite, because in the end, um, you know, the, the cost of borrowing money at the moment is so cheap 
um, as to sort of suggest that you might as well keep doing it. You know, I've always had this kind of rather uh, ridiculous idea that if you borrow the amount of money this government has actually borrowed, it sort of ceases to become really an, a, a figure. It becomes this kind of mythical amount of money that nobody could really understand. And so the idea that you're somehow in debt to the tune of a trillion pounds, people just shake their heads and go, I don't even know what that means. And I don't even know why yeah. you'd have to pay it back. Well, just, just as long as the markets can see that the economy is recovering and that, that it's uh, recovering on the, the basis of real activity as opposed to, to subsidy, yeah. um, I think that they will have the confidence that uh, that makes that theory hold. Um, the point is that if you had Jeremy Corbyn doing this, I doubt that that, that confidence would be the same. So it, it is important to have an eye on the... Uh, long, the longer-term fiscal balance, mm. uh, but one of the most important factors in that is how well our economy is doing on a real basis. Yeah, so the... that, that is why it's so important to get get these decisions about uh, coming back to work right. Yeah, Jim, do you, like me, uh, get, get the impression that once the schools go back and once the furlough starts to end and dry up and that sort of free money, if you like, starts to dry up, that people will suddenly think, oh, maybe I should go back to work? Well, I hope so, because it does enable, um, you know, childcare child inevitably becomes a bit easier with the kids back at school. Um, and that is a burden that has, you know, that, um, that has fallen on both, both, both parents a lot of the time. But in some households, um, it uh, may have f- fallen more, more, more on women than, than men, yeah. which is unfair. And, and that, that sort of... Um, that ability for everybody to uh, work, work in the way that they want to is an important fa- factor there. And so that, that is why this is the moment at which to get everyone excited about the possibilities that actually come from working together as opposed to apart. Well, exactly right. And what are things like in your constituency, Marcus, because we try and get a better kind of understanding of what the rest of the country's going through, which is not always easy when you're sitting uh, in a skyscraper in an office in London. So what's the, what are things like in Yeovil? How is the sort of local community? Because we get told by a lot of people as well that, oh, well, I'm just spending more money in my local community rather than commuting into London to spend it. Yeah, well, if if that were true, then that that would obviously be a good thing. I think in, in Yeovil, particularly, we've we've been blessed with um, our, our major company there that makes military helicopters, Leonardo, actually kept everyone uh, work, work, working without furlough throughout the whole period. So that actually set a really good example. So I think um, things are fairly positive there. Um, but yeah, it's it it is really important um, to try to get out there and spend money normally now and um and and help lots of these local and uh, com- uh commuter type businesses out um, yes because they are relying on that and if they can't see a path to making money over the next few months then they've got really tricky decisions to make and, yeah. and we don't want them to get to that point right and what's the sense i mean you guys are all back in parliament tomorrow which i think people will be pleased to see prime minister's questions back on uh, the agenda from wednesday i'm assuming we were it won't look much different from the way it looked just before uh, the summer recess in terms of the numbers of people in the chamber um but what's the view on the backbenches of the tory party right now marcus because we hear an awful lot of tittle tattle about um you know unhappiness in the backbenches worries about you turning from downing street's point of view and, and and looking to Boris Johnson for a bit more leadership. Well, I am hoping that uh, 
that we'll be able to set out a clear path to getting everybody back to normal. I think there has been a bit of mixed mixed messaging, which hasn't always been the most helpful thing. Clearly, coping with COVID is, has presented huge challenges that, oh, for any, sure, yeah. that any government would have had to face. Um, but, yeah, well, I, I think, obviously, uh, Parliament's going to look a bit odd because of the continuing of, of the hybrid proceedings. Mm. And I'd like that, that to get back to normal as well as soon as possible. But, you know, the worst thing that could happen is there could be some sort of case of COVID in Parliament and everyone would have to... Um, that 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 wouldn't set a very good example because all of us have to go back well, to our six, six, 650 different places yeah, in the right. UK. It's almost, it's almost designed to be the worst possible COVID environment. Well, it kind of is, isn't it? Because you all have to sit so close to one another. But but yeah. my view of COVID now, though, and I think a lot of people share it, uh, is that, you know, yes, it's there. Yes, we haven't eradicated it. Yes, it's weaker than it was. You know, do we not need to maybe change tack and say, look, it's time to live with it rather than to try and hide from it? Because in the end, that's what we're going to have to do. Well, I think that that's right. And hopefully we'll have a vaccine um, uh, sort of, by the end of the year or yeah. early ne- ne- next year, and that, that'll change things up. But in the meantime, you're absolutely right. We need to... We um, we took the measures that we did earlier in the springtime in order to not overwhelm mm. the NHS, and the NHS um, isn't overwhelmed. We need to keep it prepped so that it's able to deal with cases. But I don't think eliminating the virus so that there literally isn't any more evidence of it anywhere in the country is a practical idea no. that is completely unaffordable and I don't think in the interest And unachievable, I think, as well. Yeah, and a lot of other issues um, go unsolved while we're trying to deal with that one. A lot of other health issues are not getting perhaps the, um, the attention that they might. Mm, absolutely and right. obviously our economy also needs to go back because that is the source of our prosperity prosperity yeah. and long-term Well, it's the driver of everything. Not, not well. you know, It's the driver of the economy, it's the driver of the NHS, the driver of the school system. I mean, all sorts of things are reliant upon us making money. Marcus, thank you very much indeed. Marcus Fish, Conservative MP for Yeovil, uh, and a member, president, uh, deputy president, I should say, of the Board of Trade. Lots of people want to talk to me. I don't blame you. We'll get to all of you. Let me just read you this. I got this actually at the end of last week, and I meant to read it out earlier. It's from a listener uh, who doesn't want to give her real name. I'm going to call her Christine. She says this, I work for one of the big six energy companies and they opted to not use the furlough scheme instead they have paid every member of staff during the pandemic nobody has been laid off critical workers have been in offices socially distancing themselves and by critical it's ensuring faults to customers are dealt with so nobody is without power i've worked from home since march i drive to my office car park once a week uh, and pick up the mail that is handed to me so i can continue to work our company has told staff to please continue to work at home until january there are reasons we own the majority of our offices and they cannot be socially distanced to government guidelines they have tried it's not about lifts we have too many staff to distance they have told staff with mental health issues if they need to come into book days they can do so safely and if people's jobs and productivity is increased by returning to work do so by booking days to come in the rest are to stay and carry on at home to reduce the headcount in the offices the staff who could not work from home during the lockdown were all paid and are now back in work we have helped to keep the country going and i for one am extremely grateful to my company for their reactive behavior as a thank 
thank you for almost 100% work turnover. They've given everyone one day's holiday uh, to say thanks. The other issue with returning to work is the unknown about flu and COVID during the autumn and winter. By keeping us at home, we should remain safer from any potential issues and keep working. If nothing happens, we all return to the offices in January. I feel I wanted to explain that not all companies are just not bothering. Our company began in June to work at our busiest offices to work out how to bring us all back in within the government guidelines. As for me, I drive to work, I bring my own breakfast and lunch and have a half hour lunch so I don't go anywhere anyway, so I'm improving my carbon footprint. Our staff will work early as we have to have operatives out working according to council guidelines, so either at night or like myself, I start at 7.30. So, I mean, there are lots of different stories out there. What I would say uh, is that if Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, is looking to start taxing companies, he needs to stop looking at small companies. He needs to start looking at big companies. The people who like JP Morgan, for example, the investment bank, or Goldman Sachs, or any of those big companies that run massive offices in the City of London, they need to start taxing them more because they're the people who have got billions and billions and billions of pounds in reserve. Those are the people who are actively and willfully not allowing their workers to come back because they don't need them in the offices because it's cheaper for them. So they're actually creaming off money from the economy uh, while everybody else suffers. And I think that's what needs to change. You can disagree with me if you want, though, because this is a free country and this is the home of common sense. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's talk now to David Atherton, though, uh, because he's got a, a bone to pick uh, with the Metropolitan Police. Like many people, uh, he thinks they're behaving in a rather inconsistent manner. Let's find out exactly what he thinks of it all. Uh, David, a very good morning. Welcome. Good morning, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. Now, we saw quite a few sort of activities in marching over the weekend. We had the uh, the sort of anti-mask brigade out there in Trafalgar Square, which is what uh, Piers Corbyn was at. We've also had this rather rid- ridiculously named Million Person March, which was apparently attended by 400 people, which is quite a long way from a million. I don't know about you and your calculator. 99,000 short, wasn't it? Uh, yes, exactly. So that was the Black Lives Matter thing. Then we had something called the Day of Assurer. So tell us about all of that and why you think Jeremy, uh, Jeremy Corbyn's brother is kind of being picked on here? Well, first of all, um, there, there was a demonstration over in the High Park Corner led by a lady called Sasha Johnson. Yeah. And she's an avowed Marxist from Black Lives Matter. And um, she uh, she turned up and the police stopped her. And apparently there was a letter from from the central uh, metropolitan police that this should go ahead. Mm. And she just barged through with her supporters and uh, she also used. Uh, they also started chanting um, something like "F the police." Right, that's nice. That's very good. And she told the police she would not abide by the law. Right. That 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 is you know, that is an open defiance of the law here. Right. Um, and you know, I've got a little problem with, with the day, day of Shara. Um, apparently, it's, it's Iman Hussein was grandson of Mohammed who was martyred. Mm. You, know, you know, they they weren't. They weren't. It was very peaceful. They're all wearing masks. Then again, they weren't challenged by the police. There was nobody fined, and Sasha Johnson wasn't fined. Right. And and believe you me, and we I, still I'm, do not. Is it not the case that we still, David, have in place um, a suggestion that you should not be um, organising anything that involves more than thirty people uh, well, in close proximity you know, to one another? It's the law. I, I believe the ten thousand pound fine came, came came in on Friday, and all these demonstrations t- t- uh, took place yesterday. Yeah. So there we are. So, I mean, what yes. I've seen in the north of England, there's been some police action uh, where they've gone and put £10,000 fines on people for organising raves, but they're not fining anybody else who's kind of going to any of these things. They're just well, fining the, the organisers. 
Well, well, London, London seems to seems to be a uh, you know a uh, case in point where Crescent of Dick does doesn't do anything unless it might be somebody like Pierce Corbyn. Yeah, you know, people are having raves in in West West London um, council estates and things like that. Right. And the police were chased out. You know, have you know have we arrived at the stage now, particularly in London, where we have woke policing? Um, whereby, if your cause is correct, the police the police won't do anything about yeah. it. What happened but, to know, Extinction Rebellion, by the way? Weren't they supposed to be marching this weekend as well? Well, I didn't uh, see well, of that. well apparently, a few climbed on 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 Brighton uh, Brighton Pavilion <laughs> yesterday and got arrested for that. Yeah, but I believe that that, that they'll be going going full demo uh, from from here on in. Oh, I see. The day on back I, on thought, London, I, yeah. I thought, oh, they're going to be at it today, are they? Well, I bet you they don't get any fines either. Oh, I, I, I can guarantee you, but your bottom dollar on that one is. In America, for example, this is where, where some of it might be coming from. You know, in the Democrat cities where um, uh, you know, pe- you know, uh, towns and cities are being, are being torched. Well, and, people and are now being killed. Well, and killed as well, as well. But uh, there's been hundreds of, demonstra- you know, hundreds of Antifa and BLM demonstrators who have been arrested for public order offences. And the attorney general, general of the city or the state, has ref- has refused to uh, prosecute them, mm. and they've just been let go. And some of these people have, have committed some quite violent, horrendous crimes. Right. Well, also, what you do see uh, in footage that comes from any of those places in the United States um, sure. is some very violent language and some very sure. anti-police language, uh, yeah. which which is really causing uh, huge problems over there at the moment. And, and I certainly wouldn't want to see that here. But, I mean, basically, Piers Corbyn is saying that he's not going to pay this fine. So I don't know whether he's going to become sort of, you know, Julian Assange-like and take <laughs> refuge in the uh, in the Ecuadorian embassy or something. But, I mean, well, technically, they'll, will they not arrest him and lock him up if he doesn't pay the fine? Well, yeah, that's, that's the old sanctions if you don't pay your fines you get banged up mm. you know or you know maybe they might send sort of the capita bailiffs around and do the bbc stuff you'll soon pay up after them yeah, yeah. coming around well, you may well do see that. But, I mean, there is a certain inconsistency. And I think that uh, it would be nice to see a few human rights lawyers tacking on to, uh, to Piers Gorman. I mean, he's not my favourite individual in the world, but it doesn't seem fair, does it, this thing? No, it doesn't. I, I've actually met Piers Corbyn. And, uh, you know, he, he's one of those tre- national treasures who, who's a British eccentric. Yeah. And, and, and long, long, may, long may he put his views forward, no matter how much I might disagree with him from time to time. Well, this does go back, doesn't it, to this idea that, you know, if you are a conspiracy theorist, you know, at what point do you allow people to be hearing that? And at what point do you make a rule which says you can't hear that and therefore we're going to shut it down? Because, I mean, the one thing that fuels conspiracy theories, it seems to me, uh, is the establishment shutting it down and saying you can't talk about it. Well, why not? Well, indeed. Um, well, what, 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 he, what, what he was uh, complaining about was um, the, uh, he was anti-mask and he was anti-vaccine. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when it comes to not wearing masks, was it not Boris Johnson and also his colleagues at the Department of Health and Public England who said, no, don't buy a mask, they don't work. Right. The World Health Organization, Dr. Chedros, every time, the Ethiopian guy, he's also said, that, yeah. you know, at the start of the pandemic, don't wear a mask, yeah, they but don't of course, work. Yeah, but of course, the science has changed, David. Did you not know that? You know, the oh, science well, has well, now changed. <laughs> oh, well, so, so we now have woke science, do we? We do. Well, I mean, the thing is, science has now been redeveloped, in my view. Science is no longer science. Science is now somebody's yeah, opinion. And people agree. quote it as if it's science, i.e. it's actually empirically produced evidence of sure. something which has been experimented and proved to be correct. Sure. That's no longer what the definition of science is. definition of science is some bloke who calls himself a professor uh, sure. dreaming up some kind of model and saying, this is science. Well, indeed. Yeah. Well, what was that? Um, uh, Neil, Professor Neil Ferguson, wasn't it? You know, he uh, he uh, 
his uh, his piece of code, spaghetti code, said there were going to be two hundred thousand deaths in this country from COVID. Yes. And apparently, you know, if you no matter what you did with with, with his with his um, uh, computer programming model, it all came up with different results every single time. Yeah. And if we and if we look at the sort of the revised figures, it's what nearer thirty thousand or forty thousand rather than two hundred thousand. Know, this is what these experts were meant meant to defer to. Mm. No, exactly you know, right. But you know, I mean, how, but I mean, the thing is, is that how enforceable is this fine going to be? Because we saw, did we not, back in the early stages of, of of kind of you know police handing out tickets to people, they were giving people tickets for driving places, they were giving people tickets for gathering in parks, and in the end, the CPS told them to chuck them all in a bin because they didn't actually know which law had been broken and they couldn't actually enforce the fine. So I wonder if this will be the same thing. Well, I, I dare say it's, it's how how well, how well the government lawyers have uh, framed the law and. Uh, well, there's any loopholes in them. I can only hope in this situation that uh, the loophole is found and uh, Pierre Corbyn's is let off. Yes. Well, we shall see. I mean, I never really thought Piers Corbyn was going to end up being the great martyr of the anti-mask debate, but you know, it may well mean that that is what he is. He's a lovely guy, Piers. You know, I, uh, God bless him, I'll tell you. Well, I don't know about God bless him. I mean, he's a bit he's a bit nuts. But listen, I, I would be in favour if he's getting fined, everybody else should get fined as well. I'd prefer, well, exactly. I'd we, prefer for people not to be fined because we had so many demos over the course of the last few months where nobody has been fined for doing anything. It seems yeah. bonkers, doesn't it? Well, we, we can't have two-tier police in this country. It will just cause resentment. Yes. And the, the backlash in, in this country could be quite severe. You know, you know, look at the grooming gangs. Mm. You know, look at the grooming gangs. Now, that went on for years and decades even before the police weren't prepared to do something about it. And the resentment is still with us this very day. Yeah, absolutely right. Well, David, listen, good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed uh, for giving us the benefit of your views on this one. David Atherton, commentator, libertarian, a man who I think quite rightly is asking for fairness, as I think most people would. I mean, I don't really care if you want to find somebody, but you've got to find everybody, haven't you? You can't just find the people that you don't agree with. That's hardly called policing, I wouldn't have thought. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Uh, here's one from Pete, who has uh, tweet, uh, tweeted in. He says, due to the government discount on meals during August, my local hotel restaurant is fully booked today. They're also going to voluntarily keep it going through September. Well, I think a lot of people are doing that. There is a, an end coming uh, to the Eat Out to Help Out scheme. It's no longer viable this week. So um, we shall see whether or not that has an effect on people actually going out. But uh, an awful lot of people seem to be able to go out for a meal despite being frightened to go back to work in an office. I'm not quite sure how that works. How about this from Laura? I'm going to be thoroughly cheesed off if there's a tax hike after my employees and I have worked through this pandemic. I have claimed no furlough, no grants and have deferred holidays and yet we then still get punished. Well, as we were hearing from Marcus Fish, I wonder how much of some of this stuff uh, which is going on and some of these taxes which Rishi Sunak is calling for uh, are simply um, balloons that they're putting up, kites that they are flying to see whether or not the public will actually um, revolt against them. I think they will. I don't think most people are like Daniel from Epsom who said he wouldn't mind paying more in tax. I don't want to pay any more in tax as long as they're going to waste my money on all sorts of things, including, of course, uh, the ridiculous contracts with companies like Serco housing illegal migrants in hotels up and down the country. We've got some news for you coming on that this week. We've got some new Home Office figures, which we're going to be looking at over the course of the next couple of days. We will be talking to people about that. We'll probably get Nigel Farage back on because we will find out what the up-to-date situation actually is because we're still not clear on an awful lot of it. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. 
And now, if you're not doing it already, please do uh, sign up to our YouTube channel and start watching the show because we are doing more uh, visuals now than we've ever done before and lots more people are enjoying it. So you can uh, watch it as well as listening to it. Let's talk now, though, to Mr Peter Hitchens from the Mail on Sunday. Uh, it's time for our regular weekly chat, which has turned into one of the very few places where you can hear the truth about what's going on. Peter, a very good morning to you. Good morning to you. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. I thought uh, I enjoyed your column this weekend about Real Britannia because there was a certain irony. I mean, I was I was boots and all stuck into it last week because I just thought I've had enough of this nonsense and this is why we're going to see Real Britannia as the final straw of the kind of woke brigade at the BBC. But you're right. I mean, it is kind of ironic that we want to sing about freedom without actually having it. Well, yeah, indeed. We, there's a great uh, contempt for freedom. I, I go around... Uh, and I see huge numbers of people, for instance, willingly uh, wearing face nappies, mm. in some cases, as far as I see, enthusiastically, uh, for which there's very little medical justification, and, but, but is a, a sign of submission to the authority of the state, which bridles uh, me. I just can't, uh, I, I, I can't see how a, 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 some brought up as British uh, could bring themselves to behave in this fashion, but they do, and in lots of other ways as well. People have been completely and utterly subjugated by fear, uh, and this is not just this is this is not just the uneducated. It's often highly educated people, mm. and I've come across both sorts. I, a shopkeeper yesterday who refused to let me into his shop without a muzzle. Oh, really? I've said I'm exempt, right. and he said, "Not here, you're not. Uh, this is my home." And I said, "Well, it looks like a shop to me." Said, well, it is. <laughs> In fact, my home, my kids come in here, he said, right. as if children were tremendously at risk from COVID-19. Which they're, also of course, as, not. As if I were a toxic site, which right. I'm also not. Yeah. Uh, in the end, I mean, I didn't, I, I didn't go in because uh, what's the point? So I, I bought my newspaper somewhere else that, mm. that morning. But it was uh, his view of the whole thing was no more ill-informed. Uh, hysterical and ignorant than that of, of university graduates and teachers whom I know who take the same view. And right. the, the, the power of the fear of people's minds is immense. And there was a protest on Saturday. Now, of course, at this protest, there are all kinds of weirdos, mm. beyond doubt. I mean, yeah. The British Union, a fascist banner, and uh, I think David, David Icke, Icke was there. Icke, yeah. uh, you know, the loopy, loopy, loo um, sorts. But I think there were also, as there were a similar one in Berlin, uh, quite a large number of people genuinely perplexed by by what's happening to the country. Mm. And a very, a, a really astonishing thing happened afterwards, which has been very lightly reported uh, in the newspapers today, that Piers Corbyn, yes. that's Jeremy Corbyn's brother, who was the organiser, was grabbed by the police at the end of this demonstration. I mean, literally grabbed mm. uh, and, uh, and, and fined £10,000. Uh, under new laws restricting public yes. gatherings of more than 30 people. It sounds to me like the Greek colonels. Parliament, I don't believe, uh, has, has, has published a law allowing a, someone to be fined £10,000 without trial mm. uh, for, organizing a, uh, for organizing a demonstration, which was, as far as I know, peaceful. Yes. And which were, and well, also, which he, it was he, only. He consulted with the police for days beforehand. Yeah, and it was uh, also he, only he, one no, of. No attempt to legality going on. No, also one of uh, several marches that went on at the weekend, uh, of which he seems to be the only of a fine. It would not come as any surprise to you, Peter, that we discussed this in the first hour uh, because I do. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. 
You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Cover these things, and despite uh, many of my colleagues in the media not doing so, I, I do. I'm no great fan of Piers Corbyn. You know, I think he is uh, a borderline sort of on the nutty side of things. However, if they're going to find him, surely they have to find the organisers of the Black Lives Matter march, which well, took exactly, place, yeah. and also, and also the, 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 the Extinction Rebellion crowd, who I think are out and about today. Well, I'm sure they are, but when one remembers the police handling of them in the days before all this, it's tremendously feeble. Yeah. You can't help but seeing a political bias in the, in the behaviour of the police towards this. I've, also, almost all the accounts of the demonstration have concentrated upon the presence of loonies, yeah. uh, which is the sort of thing that the, the, the press of a country like Belarus does. Yeah. Uh, to, you know, if there's a demonstration, they're, they're described as fringe nutcases. Yeah. I, I think we should be a good... Uh, there was a report on the BBC which verged on the openly bias of it. I think we should be very, very suspicious of these developments. I say one of the one of the principal freedoms of a free country is the freedom of assembly. And it was bizarre that from the very start of, of this, it was one of the things that the government concentrated on legislating against freedom of assembly. And yet, as we know, as we just mentioned, with the Black Lives Matter particularly, uh, this, uh, this was abs- and indeed with the, uh, the tearing down of the famous statue in Bristol, this was absolutely not enforced. No. Well, I mean, one of the things that amused me highly, I don't know if you saw this, but the opening paragraph of the Guardian's report into the Black Lives Matter march, let me just read this to you. Hundreds of demonstrators took to the streets of West London on Sunday in the first ever million people march. Now, I don't know about you, but 400 people is quite a lot short of one million people. But well, they, there is but that. They, but they do refer to it as a million people march, even though there was only 400 people there. You know, that also came on top of what I saw from some members of the BBC, uh, to wit, Lewis Goodall and Nick Robinson, complaining about the Mail on Sunday's page one, about the possibility uh, of a sort of right-leaning television station covering news being launched, um, with Nick Robinson entreating people to complain to Ofcom about it before it's even started. Well, good heavens. I mean, I, I mean it's incredible, it, isn't it? It is. I didn't hear that, I, I, but it, it, it is extraordinary. But the BBC, I think, has, has finally uh, come up against uh, what it was eventually bound to hear. And people, I used to defend it, as I, as I say, and I, just, I felt that it was necessary to have a public service broadcaster to, to maintain standards and keep everybody honest. But I, I've just given up now. I, yeah. can't, I can't defend it anymore. It's, 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 it's very, difficult. very difficult. But the business about the, business about the, the the, the rural Britannia is fascinating. The attempts by the BBC to remove patriotic songs from the last night of the proms began in 1969. Mm. Uh, it is not a new thing. Right. I, I, I can just remember that the, the first time I can remember watching last night of the proms, I've dated it. It must have been 1960 because the wonderful Constance Shacklock, uh, a name which you can't forget once you've heard it, uh, was, was singing uh, the, the, the opening solo of Rural Britannia. Right. In fact, there's a very crackly 
a version of this on YouTube in which she, she actually pronounces Azure as Azure. Oh, excellent. Which I, cannot, I can't remember happening, but it might, it, it's, it's, so, uh, it's so antiquated as to, as, as to be marvellous. But it's thrilling to hear because she sings all the verses. Which nobody would do now. No, of course. And uh, but it, it, in, 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 at that time in 1960, before Hugh Carlson Green and, and his um, and his Bloomsbury boys got control of the BBC, it was still a national broadcaster, and I can still remember it being such. And it, it's then once Green came in in the in the early 60s and, and really got going. That's when it all got torn to pieces. Well, I remember. Um, I'm old enough to remember when at the end of the broadcast night, whatever time it was, it was usually just after midnight, I think, they would play God Save the Queen. That would be the last thing they did. Yeah, and they used to do that in cinemas as well. Yeah. Uh, and there was a famous episode where Tariq Ali, as a young student, a young left-wing student in Oxford, was with his um, with, with several of his, his friends from Pakistan watching a film in a cinema in Oxford. And they played, this would be about 1967, they played God Save the Queen in the end, and he and his friends, being well-mannered boys, stood up and were pelted with rotten apples and rubbish by the other people at the cinema, shouting fascist at them. Oh, I know. It's been a long time um, in certain in certain areas of, of our society. It's been a, it's been a long time this 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 loathing of any public expression of uh, of patriotism. I think they dropped God Save the Queen from the um, from the cinema. It was about sixty eight. Yes, I think that's about right. But I mean, the funny thing is, is that you've also written in your column this week about a magazine that you used to write for in America. Um, yeah. which urged you to uh, edit one of the pieces, one of the paragraphs in a piece you'd written because it was a bit too, shall we say, anti-establishment on COVID lockdown. It's, that's absolutely right. And it's shocking. This is, a, this is a, a small magazine, partly online, partly not. You can, you can read a lot of the stuff uh, for free, mm. uh, but others, is, it's called First Things. It's, it's mainly uh, actually Roman Catholic, but it goes into all kinds of other things. I've done lots of stuff for it. Book reviews, particularly, which yeah. allow me to go at full length. And I've had a lot of fun doing it, and they've been nice to work for. And I do a monthly column for them, which this was, and which you can find on my blog. You can see the outrageous thing which I was I was asked to tone down, <laughs> and, and I I said no. I thought, and they said, well, you perhaps you could you know, um, write about something else. I said, look, if I do that, then everything else I ever write for you will be written in the fear that I'll provoke the censorship again. I can't do it. I, I, this is the end. I've got to leave. Mm. And I, actually, I'm appealing to people to, to, to get the first things, first things mag on Twitter. Uh, anybody who reads it or anybody who's written to it, to, to, to write to them politely and say, look, you can't do this. Right. Uh, because there are obviously people there who must hate this, and, and they need to be strengthened by, by expressions of public dissent. Uh, censorship is... This, and, and for it to reach... For the for the hairy, thuggish hand of censorship to reach into such what is, you would have thought was such a gentle place, well, indeed, tells you just how far we have descended from being free societies yeah. uh, in the past six months. But I think an awful lot of it as well, Peter, is due to the kind of overreach of not just government, but of people who think that they're doing the right thing. You know, like you also referred to uh, a complaint you've made to the Advertising Standards Authority about an yeah. ad, which I've seen, where a woman's wearing a, ma- a face mask and is saying, you know, I wear this to protect you, please wear yours to protect me. That's right. Um, and as you point out, um, you know, there's no evidence to back any of that up. You know, if you want to be polite, wear a mask. As I've said to you before, I do it if I go into a supermarket, although there are other people in the supermarket not wearing them. You know, um, but I don't wear one. I went into a garage the other day because I wanted to get a bottle of water um, and I didn't wear one. 
one and nobody said anything and nobody cared. So, you know, there's this kind of overreach, I think, by organisations like Advertising Standards and by corporations in particular who think they're doing the right thing. Well, Advertising based on Standards, nothing. Have, advertising standards have, have actually accepted, uh, they, haven't, they haven't ruled in favour of my complaint, but uh, they, could, they could, as they've done to me in the past, they could have just bounced it back and said, we're not looking at this. Right. But they have uh, both accepted it as a legitimate complaint and sent it up to their council, which is their highest body. Mm. So they are taking it seriously. And they have had some, they did um, do some pretty serious censuring of some somebody who was selling face masks a few months ago, right. saying they overstated their benefits. So they are aware of this. And it was interesting. But the problem with this, this investment is it looks terribly to an attractive young woman. Uh, saying I'm doing this for you, and the uh, wearing wearing the face covering, but it looks all very nice and benevolent. But it can lead, and I think it it it, it, it does lead in some parts of the country to people who are, who are not wearing face coverings uh, being harassed mm. uh, by people who are yeah. uh, on the grounds that you're not doing your duty as a citizen. You're being selfish. You're killing me, and the the, the danger of being mobbed. I mean, it's not going to happen to you or me. But you can imagine it could particularly happen to women. And it, there's a, there was a recent fascinating article in The Guardian about this very particular problem, which some women who've been raped have over putting on a face covering. They absolutely hate it because it, it brings back memories of, of a hand being clamped across mm. their face. Yeah. And, they, they, and, and it's, it's not an, a particularly, alas, uncommon problem. And, and there it is. And somebody who was in that position could find themselves being mobbed in a supermarket uh, by people who think they are doing good by uh, by saying you should be wearing a mask, mm. and 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 a person faced with that, particularly someone who's undergone that sort of situation, could find themselves uh, totally overwhelmed with yes. grief and fear. And yet we and, are still and, and no sympathy from anybody, and that's the danger of this sort of advertising. Yes, indeed, because we are still in this kind of rather obscure place where, where where you and I have reached quite a lot of agreement on 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 this. Not surprisingly, you know, where we both believe that the most important aspect now of these figures that we're given of infections is how many of them are actually sick. You know, we've got this ridiculous case of the, the flight from Zante in Greece that has come back to Cardiff where seven oh, yes. people on that flight were apparently found to have the, the, the virus. But we don't, we're not told in what way they have it or whether any of them have had to go to hospital. Well, and now what, they're going to quarantine this, everybody. I take this view now. Wherever I hear these figures trotted out, if, if, if it's not added that there's a number of them have, have been hospitalised or are ill, then I assume that they are all asymptomatic and well. As we know, the principal characteristic of the disease COVID-19 in almost all the cases which are now affecting the country is that you're perfectly, you're perfectly fine. Yeah. And the fact that they don't mention the medical state of these people suggests strongly to me that, it, that, that they're not suffering from anything serious. And I don't, I, I think we, we, until they start giving these figures out as a matter of course and saying none of them has actually been ill, none of them has been hospitalised, none of them has died, then we'll just have to assume that's what they mean. Because if they're not saying it, it's because they don't want to say it. Right. And I, I, I just, I, my own city of Oxford is being menaced with a, an amber alert because I think something like 40 people out of a city population, around 50,000, have tested positive. The response of the authorities to this has been, wouldn't you just guess, to open a new testing centre? Right. We were, there was already a perfectly adequate testing centre, if you like that sort of thing, up in, in, in the north of the city next to one of the railway stations. Uh, but at the weekend, they specially opened another one next to a big Tesco's off the, uh, off the Cali Road, which is the main artery in, in the, 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 the town rather than the gown area of the city. And why were they doing that? And presumably, I mean, I, and I know people who've been in the past few days uh, written to twice 
and texted by the authorities urging them to go and get tested. Yeah. Well, look, now, look why, at, why are they doing this? Well, let me. Do they let, actually want to get the numbers up? Well, uh, because if they don't, what is the explanation for this otherwise? Well, exactly right. And they want to talk about track and trace, and nobody knows where the seven people on the plane got it from. Some people are suggesting they may have got it on the plane, in which case, presumably, they'll stop everybody from flying on a plane. But ha- let me let me read you this. This is from an email uh, from my son's school, right? And this is on face masks. In order to promote the highest levels of safety, we would ask that all students wear a face mask when moving between lessons and when moving around. Areas within the school buildings. However, face masks should be removed when seated in class to help to facilitate high-quality teaching and learning. I mean, if that doesn't spell nonsense to you, I don't know what well, it's does. Double nonsense. Apart from anything else, these masks—if if you constantly handle them—they're worse than useless. Mm. Uh, the only, the surg- proper surgical masks, the ones which I'm constantly told are, are comparable, the ones used in hospitals, are, are tightly fitted and quite uncomfortable to wear. And and the the people who wear them are trained never to touch them. Yeah. Uh, but you see constantly people with these loose face masks touching them. And if people are going from classroom uh, to, uh, to to another classroom down the corridor or, or wherever they're going, they they put the mask on, they take it off again, they put it off again. Are they going to have a store of 17 masks for the yeah. whole day or are they just going to wear the same one? Are they going to handle <laughs> well, it? Well, also, what's the point of it? And also, what is, what is the point of taking it off in the classroom when you have to wear it in the corridor? I just don't it's, understand it. Well, it's unsustainable, isn't it? it and it, 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 again, it's, it, it's part of this hysteria. And I say it again, if, 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 if this thing is as, um, is, 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 as, is as serious as they say it is on the, on the most tiny evidence, then it really is time we started taking more precautions against people being killed by eagles dropping tortoises on their heads. I mean, my, my own plan is, is that all the tortoises in the country should be thickly greased so that, that yes. the eagles won't be able to pick them up. Or stuck to the ground. Well, or I'm thinking like of setting up a, a, a tortoise grease <laughs> manufacturing company well, listen, you've, for this purpose because the, the people who are making, making face masks and, and, and uh, hand sanitizer are doing very well. Well, they certainly are. There's, there's always plenty of opportunities. You could there. smear your tortoise with hand sanitizer. Well, that might be the way to go, yeah. But here's the other thing, right? Let me ask you about the tax uh, implications here because you and oh, I have yeah. also spoken about the the need to to pay the piper, as it were. Rishi Sunak appears to be sort of setting out the groundwork for that. I have no doubt that a lot of his suggestions are just simply that, and he's going to kind of try and gauge which bits the public will buy. But, I mean, the idea to to raise corporation tax, for example, on small businesses by a factor of more than 25% in one fell swoop seems crazy. Well, uh, well, I saw one paper saying this would destroy the recovery, and I said, what recovery? This is after last week, Pret-a-Manger, a a sandwich bar, Mm. sacked thousands of people, and after, again, returning to my home city, the mini-plant in Oxford uh, began to sack Mm. people making cars. There is no recovery. There's the absolute opposite of a recovery. But I think the problem is, if, you, if, if these tax rises don't take place, then the other thing will happen, which is there will be no money to run the public services, right. not least the NHS we're supposed to be so concerned about. Mm. So absolutely everything that people rely on uh, will, be, will, will be starved of money. And, and, and if you say, well, that road hasn't been repaired, or the, the hospital's a slum and the, 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 the lavatories leak and all the rest of it, people will say, well, just, we're sorry. But the cuts, right. uh, the COVID cuts, which we're going to come up against, the COVID cuts mean we can't afford to fix that. We can't afford to, to hire the people. We can't afford to keep people employed. It, and, and we will live in a society with a much, much lower standard of living 
because of this. Mm. And the other thing which is going to happen, and if you think you can escape it, maybe if the, 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 the tax rates are postponed, is, that, of course, the inflation, which I think is now absolutely bound to happen because they've pumped quantitative easing into the public purse for the first time. The, 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 say people, in, in people are getting money in their pockets from the government in, in, in the, the Rishi Sunak schemes. That has launched a huge amount of money uh, into, the, into the open market rather than just the bond market or wherever it was before. And inflation will mean that whatever savings you may have, which of course includes the pension which you hope to live on in your, in your later years, will be shriveled to nothing. Yeah. And, and, that's, and only people who have assets uh, will, will survive it. And this is another terrible thing, which people just, because I'm afraid economics is not even taught adequately in most of our schools to most people, will take people by horrible surprise when it comes. But it's so visible to anybody who knows what's going on. Well, similarly, the people who work from home who say it's all very fine and dandy because they feel much better and they don't have to commute anywhere, you know, they will, their jobs will disappear. Uh, if, in fact, the places that they put their supposed money into in the city is no, are no longer recipients of that, and the pension funds will diminish, and therefore uh, the insurance funds will diminish, and everything will diminish to the point where nobody has a job. Well, so if, if employers can be, if, if it really is working so well, if employers can, can, can get people to work for them who never come into work, for whom they don't have to provide offices or facilities, uh, then they'll say, all right, well, well, we'll hire many, many more freelancers. And all the remaining jobs, which used to have some security and which used to have some perks and which mm. used to have national insurance payments and all the rest, will go. Yeah. And there will be a nation of, of, of freelancers uh, totally at the mercy of tomorrow mm. uh, with, uh, with, with no job security at all and very little in the way of social protection. Yeah, and with and no this, pension, this, this be no holiday pay, no sick pay, nothing. No, nothing like that. Why, 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 what are you asking for a holiday for? You're at home all the time anyway. Yeah, and exactly. You can just imagine the response of any employer to, to request for holiday. And, and, but they will be asked to re- revise their contract. Yeah. No, I think it's a very worrying time. However, I take the view, and, and not many people do, because people would call it irresponsible, that we shouldn't bother paying the money back. Whoever we borrowed it from, and I don't think anybody really understands how much one trillion pounds is anyway, whoever we borrowed it from, we should just say, we're not paying it back. It doesn't really matter. There's no point in paying it back. It's such a big number that we can never pay it back. So let's just carry on as normal. Just keep borrowing. And people go, oh, but then your children will have to pay the price. Well, then maybe they could worry about that in 50 years' time. But we don't have to worry about It'll it now. It'll be sooner than that, Mike. I was going to say the simplest, the simplest answer to that is we are borrowing from, from the future and we are borrowing from our children. But it, it will come much sooner than 50 years' time. Yes, but the point is, is that what it's such a big What you're saying is you're bequeathing to, the, to, to, to your own self, if you live long enough, and to your children and grandchildren, and as many as you're bequeathing to them, horrible economic consequences. And the, tr- the, problem, the only real problem with the argument is this, the damage is largely already done. Mm. It's not. It, it, you, it, you cannot strangle a major service economy for nearly six months and reduce it almost to nothing and expect at the end of that uh, that you haven't done. It's, as I say, it's, it is like a heart attack. Yes. It's not treated but, but, very quickly, then it does permanent deep damage. Yes, Same no, I agree treatment. with that. But this is and why. No, there's been the reverse of quick treatment. The thing has just been neglected. But this, is, to continue. But, but this is what I'm hopeful, that once the schools go back, once they stop paying the furlough money, that people will actually see sense and they'll stop this ridiculous kind of selfish attitude of, well, I don't need to go to work, I don't need to commute, I much prefer doing it this way. Well, no, that won't be available anymore, so you'll have to come back. 
if there's anything to come back to. Well, and that's I mean, the problem. I mean, it, what, what, what's, what has frightened me from the start of this is that this is just the first stage of the dislocation. You've got used to a much more interfering state of being ordered about, uh, of, of having far less freedom to do what you like, and, and also society, as it previously was, has been broken up, so we don't see each other anymore. Now comes the sort of 1929, 1931 moment, when after the crash uh, comes the unemployment and comes the economic devastation. And then and you can't afford to see each other. I think it's that period of our history we need to look at. Yeah. The, the, the period which, uh, in, in which we ended up with a, a national government in which the Labour Party tore itself to pieces and in, and in which millions of people uh, became unemployed and large parts of British industry went into a decline from which a mm. lot of it never recovered. Mm. And, it, and it, it, took a, it took the war to, to re-stimulate the economy really after that. And that's seems to me to be the position towards which we're drifting. And the, in those days, we were a far, far more restrained, better behaved people than we are now. And I genuinely fear for, uh, for social peace. Yes. Uh, when this well, happens. you'll be happy to know that we have now found at least one more other way of disagreeing, because I don't think my freedom has been uh, in any way affected massively. I don't I still don't. You know, I think putting a mask on to go into the supermarket for 15 minutes to buy a few bottles of wine and some olives is not really bo- going to bother me so much that I have to talk about my freedoms being, you know, somehow curtailed. Whereas you obviously feel stronger about that. Well, can I explain why? Go on. I mean, it's not just a matter of putting a, uh, a piece of cloth on your face. It's a matter of the state reaching into areas of your life which are none of its business. And also, uh, it is the, the wearing of these things, largely futile as it mostly is, is yeah. much more a declaration of assent to the government's policies. And the other thing which it does is it helps to spread fear. Uh, the fear which uh, which was created deliberately back in March after that extraordinary stage document that we've discussed, uh, which was undoubtedly created deliberately, yeah. uh, was flagging a bit. And the introduction of face coverings at a time when deaths from COVID had fallen to very close to zero was a bizarre thing. If you, if you, if you really, really believed in them, which nobody did, then they would have been introduced months ago. But they were introduced not to deal with the spread of COVID, but to... Uh, to to actually blow on the embers of public fear and to, to spread the idea that we are living in a crisis. And that's the problem with it. You're, you're asked both to submit uh, to a, a state acting like a, the parent of a child saying, you must wear this. You're supposed to wear publicly in a very visible place a symbol of your submission to an, an acceptance of a government policy, and you cooperate in the, the spreading and, and fanning of the fear from which this government mm. steals its power. No, okay. That's what's wrong with it. Okay, well, listen, I get that, but I've been told we have to run because we're out of time. But listen, Peter, great to talk to you again. Thank you. We'll pick it up again next Monday. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, if you're not doing it yet, you should be doing it now, and that is, of course, watching us live on Facebook because we've got more and more people coming on uh, as viewers to the show as well as just listening to it. And lots of you put it on. You have it on in the background. You don't have to watch the television show for three hours but a lot of people do because it's actually quite entertaining an awful lot more of our guests now appear uh, on screen as well as talking to us down the phone uh, and we're trying to do more and more of that so people should be encouraged and if you haven't got um, uh, any way of watching it then you should be listening to us on a variety of means which of course includes smart speakers like Alexa uh, you can get you can download the app on your phone uh, and you can also listen to us on DAB plus of course as well let's talk to Matt Kilcoyne though about this kind of rather I would say unusually woke reason for doing away with plastic bags will it actually work matt very good uh, afternoon to you welcome 
good afternoon, Mike. I'll have to pop down into the studio next time to join you. Well, um, I think I mean, you should. Yeah, absolutely. We, I think we're about to do that soon because at the moment we've still had um, you know restrictions on the numbers of people allowed into the building. But I think that's being sure. relaxed shortly. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. The government wants to reduce plastic bag use, mostly for PR reasons. It thinks that plastic equals bad and the paper means the environment and the people make that association. They think that you're too thick to know the stats behind it. Um, but while the charge at last time did reduce plastic bag use because normally people wanted, didn't want to pay 5p or 10p per bag, um, they've already reduced it by 96%. Yeah. So what is this extra charge going to do? It doesn't do anything. It just means that food places are going to give you a paper bag rather than a plastic one. Paper bags actually have to be reused 43 times to have the same energy efficiency or environmental impact as a normal plastic bag. So it's actually worse for the environment. Right. And it's mostly just a way of keeping the Daily Mail sweet um, <laughs> on all of the other tax measures and parliamentary measures that aren't likely to go their way um, as, the re- as Parliament restarts tomorrow. Well, as I said um, in my uh, introduction, it was very amusing to me when the Daily Mail finally, I don't know when, I mean, I can't remember exactly the year. It was under Paul Dacre, though, incredibly, that they decided to launch this anti-plastic bag campaign. But they actually did it on a day on a Saturday when the paper came inside plastic which I found incredibly funny, um, which obviously uh, didn't occur to any of them because they didn't have a great sense of irony in the Daily Mail. because they don't really care about the issue. Much, no, of course they don't. Also, the paper <laughs> business that they are in, which involves cutting down massive amounts of trees, and I'm not going to be one mm-hmm. to attack the newspaper business because it gave me a very good living for many, many years. However, they should not be the people who are getting involved in paper production, who are getting involved in, in cutting down forests in order to print uh, what they do on a daily basis. They should not be the people right. protecting the environment. It's rather ironic. And of course, um, what, we, what we really see whenever the Daily Mail does this kind of a campaign and whether the Guardian does as well, is actually what just what the preoccupation of their teenage kids are of the editors, uh, which will have been they've learned about plastic at school. Isn't the plastic, isn't the ocean filled with plastic? Isn't it dreadful? Um, and then that becomes a how do we fix this? Yeah. And instead of it being an actual genuine conversation about how you reduce emissions, how you move on to a green economy, how nuclear could replace coal, etc., um, it just becomes a quick fix. Um, and something that you can do good headline-grabbing measures over. Exactly. And, and in classic plastic bags, it's one of those things that looks very good on Instagram because it looks clean, it's got good lines. It's really just about presentation rather than substance. Yeah. Well, last time I had this argument, which was when they had the Bag for Life um, business a few weeks ago, and I actually was on Dan Wooten's show arguing against somebody who was against plastic bags. And I said, isn't it rather ironic that what you want me to do is to go to a supermarket, buy loads of stuff which is in itself packaged in plastic, and then put it in a paper bag to take it home. There's more plastic in the packaging than there is in the bag. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, this is the thing, right? It, everybody knows that you, know, you don't have to use plastic, that they shouldn't have to use plastic if they don't need to, um, but there's a cost involved in not using it. Like, we use plastic at supermarkets because it keeps food fresher longer. We use it because it allows you to have artificial atmospheres. We use it in bags because the strong, durable material doesn't break down as you're walking in the rain, which happens quite a bit here in the UK. And if the government wants us to walk to shops more, um, then it has to come up with a way in which, you know, we can get our goods home. Um, If they're going to make that more expensive and more difficult, then they'll actually undermine their own efforts to achieve their other policies. And it's just a lack of joined-up thinking government that sort of characterises a lot of the Westminster system that we've seen over the past decade. And it's just another example of the fact that it's a, a very small step 
that sets our policy to the rest of the country. Yeah, and, I mean, it is virtue signalling on a massive scale. I mean, inside the Daily Mail, they've got things that are to come, including uh, people in the UK currently go through an estimated 14 billion plastic drinks bottles a year. The Mail has run a campaign called Take Back Your Bottles since 2017. Well, I don't think that's had any effect, has it, for three years? It's had very, had very little effect. Um, it has a bit more of an effect in Norway, where effectively it's enforced, and it has an effect in countries which are poorer, where the amount of money makes more of a difference. Um, I don't think the Daily Mail is currently going to push for it to become, you know, like it is, like it would be the equivalent of about five pounds yeah. here in the UK. For therefore, you make it; it's worth your while doing so. Um, but we never know. They, they may come up with that policy next time. But I, I doubt they, they do it. They want to do a policy that sounds clever, sounds quick and easy to do, doesn't cost that much but makes it look like they're making a difference yeah. and therefore makes them feel nice about themselves. Because they're feeling nice about themselves but like, is what most people are actually after in their life rather than actually making a difference. Well, exactly right, because it's all very... And also, the other point I made to the, to the campaigner against plastic bags was that the production of paper bags is actually very environmentally unfriendly. Uh, and there have been studies oh, yeah, done which say that, you know, in order to make a paper bag, you've actually got to use so much water, you've got to use so many chemicals, you've got to strip the, the forest again. Um, and despite the fact that, as we've said, I think uh, that you have to use it something like 58 times in order to make it worthwhile, you know, it's actually quite a polluting process making paper bags. Oh, yeah, and even worse if you use a cotton bag, tote bag, hemp bag, uh, and if you use organic cotton, you know, you're looking at 20,000 times the cost of the environment than if you're using a plastic bag. Hmm. It's, it's such an enormous amount. Um, actually, the reason why plastics came about was because they were cheap, efficient, and they, and they incorporated the extra cost that they were imposing. Hmm. Um, the extra cost of landfill that we were looking at mostly does not come down to plastic bags, um, which actually disintegrate very quickly, very easily, um, when they are scrapped in the right way, um, it, it's down to bulk items like lots of metals and things that you right. don't that they don't, aren't worth recycling at the time. Hmm. It doesn't mean they're not going to be worth recycling later, um, and that's actually why we put them in landfills so that they're all concentrated in one place. So that if actually things do become cost-effective later, that you can do that. Exactly. But that's. But it's, I mean, again, it's just the fact that it's like this thing looks bad. It's been in textbooks at schools. Teacher has berated child. Child's gone home and complained parents gone oh how can i do with this here's quick easy for fix solution off the shelf yes so you tell, so you tell little tarquin oh we won't use plastic bags anymore uh, but everything you buy is covered in plastic right but here's the other thing is um mostly what people don't mention is that if you look at most of the plastic in the sea if you go down to the indian ocean if you go to the caribbean you find that ghastly kind of lake of plastic which exists somewhere off the coast of um between i think it's between uh, venezuela and and mexico basically yeah. It's all created by cruise ships um, and an awful lot of the stuff that's created in the Pacific comes out of China because, you know, they don't have the same rules that we have as far as pollution is concerned. I think it was Jeremy Clarkson, was it not, um, who ended up on a boat somewhere and he was picking, literally picking bottles out of the water and they were all with Chinese writing on them, every single one. Yeah, I mean, the top, of the top 10 countries that pollute, none of them are in Europe or the US uh, in terms of like, plastic in the ocean. Um, we're actually very good at getting rid of our waste in the West. Tends to be Indonesia, China, it's India, Bangladesh, so on, that actually have very bad waste management systems. Um, as they get richer, though, the citizens of those countries are similarly demanding that the environment be better looked after, and that their lives are not just about making money, but actually that they, that they do get to enjoy the world in which we live. Um, 
And a lot of the sort of issues that have come about are relatively recent, like fishing twine being one of the largest polluters in the ocean, for example, um, coming from overfishing of trawlers. That's an issue that's live in China and the Far East, right, and Japan and, and the Far East more generally. Um, and so, yes, these debates need to be having right across the world. Um, they can't just be isolated to what the UK must do and how we must be sort of morally, there must be a moral imperative that the UK must act in a certain way. Actually, the UK's action should be about engaging citizens of those countries in the debates in their own states as well. Right. Also, um, there's a few more important things going on, Matt, at the moment, aren't there? We've got a, we've got a Chancellor who's talking about putting <laughs> taxes up. We've got, you know, a pandemic going on, which has prevented our children from going to school for six months. We've got teachers still arguing about whether they think it's safe to go back to school. We've got workers refusing to go back to work in the cities of this country. I mean, you know, plastic bag tax, really? I mean, exactly. It's a kind of like, well, well done. I'm really glad that somebody's thinking about this. It takes all sorts to build a society. But is this the number one priority of the government? And if it is, then does that raise some questions about the quality and capability of the government? Um, to which the honest answer is my yes. <laughs> or is the, it just well, another one of these distractions where you can just go, I think it's oh, a look what we're doing. I think, it's, I think it's a page filler for the Daily Mail to mm. look like they've won a campaign so that they can say well done to their readers, so their readers can feel good about themselves, so they keep buying the paper. I mean, so I've edited papers. The work of the government has got to be reopening the economy, making sure that we have these empty offices in our city centres that are either full or being converted to housing so that we can deal with the housing crisis that we've still got ongoing. And also, we've got Brexit coming down the line, so maybe we should actually be getting on with some of the negotiations or preparations for if there is no deal at the yes. end of December. I think that's a very, very sensible way to finish this conversation, Matt. Thanks very much indeed. Matt Kilcoyne, they're talking about what is can I only be described as you know it's literally like sort of fiddling while rome burns I and mean, we've got an awful lot of things on our plate right now an awful lot of things to sort out not least as i say uh, my campaign and my crusade indeed to get people back into the office buildings of this country i know there's a lot of resistance to that i know there's an awful lot of people who think that you know oh but you know it's dangerous to go back into town well one it isn't and two the trains are empty enough for you not to worry about it you know, tell me when the trains get full again and you have to get pressed up against somebody that you've never met. Fine. I can understand why you wouldn't want to do that. But that ain't how it is right now. Uh, the trains are literally empty. They're running with nobody in either of the carriages that they've got. The tubes are the same. You know, buses are something like, I think it's 28% uh, occupancy on the trains. Buses are a little bit higher, 49%, uh, because people tend to feel those are safer than perhaps the tubes are. But basically, at the end of the day, you know, that's a much more important a campaign than anything the Daily Mail can come up with about plastic bags because you want to put the price up to 10p instead of 5 so that people don't use them anymore. Look, if you really want to stop people using plastic bags, just don't make them available. Just make, mean, mean, when you go and ask for a bag, they'll just say no. Like in the old days, I remember going to um, B&Q once to buy something and I asked them for a plastic bag and they said, we haven't got one. I said, well, how am I supposed to carry all this stuff out then? Are you supposed to bring your own bag? I'm like, well, I haven't got one. If you've not got a bag, you can sell me. And they didn't have one. So I had to end up taking the stuff out, literally in my arms, as dropping bits of batteries and various other things that I was carrying. And in the end, you know, I think you could now get a bag from them because it was impractical to run a shop, to run a business where people buy items without giving them a bag. You know, what would you like me to do next? Would you like me to pay even more money for the privilege of coming into your shop, but you're not going to give me anything by way of carrying it out with, even if you want to charge me for that? But there are lots of different ways of doing it. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.